This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Chris, over the weekend, it was a special holiday, Easter. I went to Zupan's and got some great uh, food, including they are my go-to spot for a charcuterie board. Do you play, do you, are you an artist when you place? When I, you do, I try to replicate the cool things you see in restaurants or even the charcuterie boards that you can buy in Zupan's. Mm-hmm. So we have this awesome piece of slate, and then I try to do it all out, and cheese is over here, and almonds mixed in between, and grapes. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, it's just really good. But I mean, when it comes to to cheeses and and the salamis and all that stuff, you can't go wrong at Zupans. And there's always somebody helpful there that can kind of walk you through if you're try- if you're looking for a certain cheese or a different kind of cheese. There's somebody there that can always guide you in the right direction. And because everybody's interested in what you and I are eating on a particular day, yeah. So I got some delicious artichokes, and I found that a little melted butter mm-hmm. and the Alfredo sauce that they sell there that they make in house. Yeah, the Zupan's Alfredo. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. That sounds good. And a lot of things. You put and that I'll, on just some pasta. I do that on pasta as well. Nice. But this time it was just dipping the artichoke leaves in there and then the hearts, and uh, it was really good. So there's that. We should point out for those of you who might live near uh, the uh, Market of Choice on Twilliger, uh, they've closed down. They and might, you might know that if you, you were might, a you probably, Yeah, you're like, oh, where do I go? Well, Zupans welcome you to their McAdams store. And yeah. if you haven't been into the Zupans, they will welcome you with open arms and the best produce ever. And I think it's a win. It's a good, that's a, uh, that's a store where I do most of my shopping. Yeah. So, so it's a great thing. They also have at, at the McAdams store and the others, um, they're toasting earth. It's Earth Day right now when we're recording this. Is mm-hmm. that right? So they're toasting Earth with a farm-to-market beer series, and they have an IPA created in collaboration with Double Mountain Brewery, one of my favorites, one of my favorite places to go in Hood River, and they now have a location in Portland with uh, a refillable bottle making the most sustainable choice in the beer aisle. Very nice. Three locations to easily serve you. You've got the one on McAdam, which we've been talking about, West Burnside, and, of course, Lake Grove. And always wear, Chris? Zoopants.com. Court, it's time to talk about Portland Knife House. And... For those uh, folks listening at home, if you're an avid Right at the Fork listener, and we suggest you be one, uh, you can go back to episode 161 with Eitan Zias and really expand on this uh, this ad where we're going to talk about their products. Uh, so cool of Portland Knife House to sponsor our International Women's Month special series of podcasts. And uh, everybody should, we think it's especially appropriate because they're a business that caters to both the consumer market and also all our industry folks listening to the podcast. Yeah, right it's now. owned and operated by former chefs. And when it comes to like sharpening, repair, or maybe getting a customized knife, this is the place to go in Portland. And the the other reason that it's a place to go is there's no larger selection no. of of knives in uh, for the kitchen in portland and i don't know and i've been there to check them out as a matter of fact i just bought a beautiful uh bread knife that i couldn't believe i was as nice as it was it's not i'm not worthy but it's absolutely beautiful yep they also offer hands-on sharpening classes so you could take your knife there to be sharpened or they can teach you how to do it yourself that's right. And so the best way to find out about those classes, because they do sell out, mm-hmm. is to go to PortlandKnifeHouse.com. But more importantly, head to their showroom on Southeast Belmont on, what is it on? 2637 Southeast Belmont. So that would be on 26th. Or you can call 503-234-6397. Whatever you do, you tell them you heard it on Right at the Fork. Mm-hmm.
Here we are with time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork. I said that plural. Podcasts. Podcasts. Podcast. Well, there have been a number of them. Uh, uh, we're well over 200. 230, 250. Well, it depends because the interviews themselves right. are get numbered. Number. And we're, we're close to 200. We're, I think we're like uh, just a couple away from 200. Right. But there's another 100 or so that were at least. Yeah. That were, well, now maybe right. not at least, that were the sound bites and then, and then we're going to start the pop up Extra podcast, bonuses. Yeah. Extra because we don't want to just do. The standard. No. We have to go uh, over and above. Yeah. Anyway, that's Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. I'm and, Court Johnson. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I, all right. You, you left me the opening. It's all good. I did. I didn't t- I'm getting older. <laughs> that's that's the problem. And that's Court Johnson, who whom you'll find at kink.fm. Yeah. I think I know what it is, Chris. It's such a gorgeous day outside. It, spring has truly arrived here in Portland. It's just like, what are we doing in the studio? Well, I know. And then it's beautiful outside. It's beautiful inside. I'm sh- I don't know if you noticed walking into this building, but the the lobby yeah, is, the, is beautiful. The building that's been feels like it's been under construction for over a year. Yeah, rehab, re- rehabilitation. For yeah. whatever reason, I don't know. It was really nice. But now I see yeah. the results. It looks very modern. Oh, yeah. It, it looks like something if you'd seen a... I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but if you'd seen a something about the future back in 1990, here's what 2020 is going to look like. Yeah, I don't know. It looks like that. The building was built in the, uh, I think, the, it, early to mid-80s, and I don't know if the lobby had been updated since then. It was a nice lobby. Yeah, but I didn't notice anything now it's, wrong with now it. Now it's super futuristic. And, and, and there's a, the Starbucks is really oh, nice. Oh, yeah. It's gigantic across yeah, they, from City they Hall. They took the standard Starbucks in one side, and then they moved it to a way larger space. Right. Great. We had to compete with the Starbucks literally next door in the standard right. building, which was three times the size. Well, there's probably a bunch of them all over. The, oh, yeah, they're, we're surrounded the, by them. They're all over the place. But yep. the cool thing is, Court, you and I, at right at the Fork World Headquarters, yes. got an upgrade on the building, we and we didn't do... Yeah. No, we didn't spend a dime. Not a dime. Yeah, it was so, pretty great. So we can put it all towards more important things. Yeah. I don't know that... Uh, I didn't hear Kurt uh, commenting on it, because he's, he's been here before. He's seen the before and after. Yeah, we didn't course, ask Kurt. He knows that the you know he knows that this isn't really our place. But speaking of Kurt and speaking of technology, I love the fact that he on his way he clued me into his lift and put the ge- the geographic oh, follow yeah. feature on. Yeah, and it's really nice to know when you when someone's going to get here. My girlfriend does that on the way out to Manzanita. I love it. She leaves Salem at, and I have two and a half hours. So then you know. I know, right. and I know exactly when she's coming, so I bring the dog, the the puppy out so he doesn't go crazy when she walks in the door. Right. It's really, that technology is really good. So we should, people don't need the technology, that technology to listen to this podcast. You no. know when it's coming. It's Thursdays Every now. Thursday. Every Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. I was, I was trying that segue. I don't know if it worked or not. And, what do you think? And on a scale of one to 10 <laughs> in terms of segues, I'd give that a five. All right. I've heard worse. Can we do better to segue into Kurt Huffman of Chef's Table? Well, you, um, uh, you, we've been talking about Kurt Huffman, and now we're going to segue to... I, no. No, I can't. <laughs> and by the way, it's Chef's Stable. Chef's Table. Chef's, with the chef's, S is the capital. Chef's Stable. Right, Chef's Stable. And we've had Kurt on quite a few times. Is that kind of like PetSmart? Yeah, but Pets, you, yes, PetSmart. Smart or PetSmart. Pet so, yeah. Chef Stable. Yeah, Chef Stable. But if you say it fast, it works both ways. Sure, okay. Much like, well, how about this? Here's a segue. All right. We're, we're starting these pop-up podcasts. Uh, 
and we haven't recorded the first one yet, nope. but we're going to work with Karen Pride, formerly of Prasad and now of Yoga Pearl, who's traveling the country. Yeah. And she's going to she's gonna do, uh, uh, starting out a once a month segment, talking to interesting folks she finds in her travels in her Ford van. Uh, transit? It's a tra- big transit. I think it's transit. Yeah, yeah it's a transit. And um, she's going to talk to people, and we're going to have that podcast, and we're going to call it, so right apostrophe N, the, uh, uh, right at the fork in the road, in the road with an N, because there's really fork in the road, right. and then there's right at the fork <laughs> is on the road, so it's just going to be an N with an apostrophe, right at the fork in the road. There we go. How does that work, everybody? Can we hear uh, applause? Do you have one of those morning applause? I can, I can, I, in post, I can go and add, add no, some. Don't. No, don't. That's, that's what made me not want to listen to morning radio for years, are those things. The, 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 the canned laughter, quite literally? Yeah, just the, the canned production. Yeah. But um, we never wanted to be that. And nope. here I am driving us right in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's drive in a better direction towards uh, Kurt Huffman here. An hour talking about um, Chef's Table, what they're doing in the suburbs. Um, what they're doing at the airport, yep. or hope to do at the airport, right? And uh, and the vision of the future, and a little bit at the end uh, about Kurt's viewpoint on what has happened in Portland and uh, what's promising about Portland restaurant. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures. Tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astrid Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. By Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands, where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. And by Portland Knife House dedicated to equipping the professional and home cook alike, offering knife sharpening, repair, sales, and education in Southeast Portland. Owned and operated by former chefs with by far the largest selection of kitchen knives in Portland with a focus on Japanese knives. See them for yourself at their Southeast Belmont showroom and store or at portlandknifehouse.com. Hold both my hands. What kind of can? Oh, that's so. basketball. Basketball can. Yeah, me and four buddies, all from grade school. Wow. We all went. I went to basketball camp when I was in grade school. Yeah. And um, we had it was in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, because I came from Connecticut, 
and the big it was Larry Siegfried Basketball School. Do you know that? Remember that name from mm-hmm. the Celtics? He's in the NBA. Oh, okay. So they had different drills every day, and we were in the storms. And the guy who with the Celtics, and I can't remember who it was, was not able to do the layup class the next day. And but they were going to bring in some guy we'd never heard of from University of Massachusetts. And I don't know if you know anything about basketball, you probably guess what I'm about to say. And uh, we were all bitching and complaining about, you know, God, we don't get the Celtic guy? Well, it was Julius Irving who taught us layups <laughs> for the day. So, uh, But we didn't really know until a few years later how awesome that was. Um, but it was pretty cool. So how was your basketball school? What, did you learn anything? I did. I, I think it was the first time I've ever actually been coached on my shot. So we, um, I probably play three times a year, maybe two total we play in a a three-on-three basketball tournament in spokane every year Mm -hmm. there's four of us that we all went to grade school together one of whom is a leather store i was gonna ask if it was leathers yeah yeah so leather myself leather mark burles and jeff knowles we all play in a uh in a tournament every year and this was our attempt to try to get a little bit better so we went for a three-day basketball camp and it was uh it was uh humbling and uh pretty awesome so, you know what's humbling about basketball as you get older? I didn't realize this. I played a lot when I was a kid. And I was short, so I never really made it too far. But I could shoot. Um, but a friend of mine asked me 10, 12 years ago, come on, play. we play Saturday mornings in the league. Two times down the court and back. And I was so winded. Yeah. Right? You, I, I didn't, you don't realize when you're a kid or when you're in shape, right? What running down the back and forth in there. Yeah, well, we've been working out a lot trying to just stay fit and prepare ourselves because Hoop Fest is, is intense. I mean, it's 100 degrees out, you're playing on the streets of Spokane, so it's all, you know, all blacktop, and it's roasting. And how'd and you get, how'd you start doing this? Just my buddy Mark in Seattle, he wanted us to all do something together. You know, it's like friendship maintenance. Yeah. It's, uh, it's healthy. And then it's one, is it once a year? Once a year. Um, Last weekend of June. Oh, just in the yeah. heat of the summer. So the each, question we're all asking, though, is how do you do in that tournament? Uh, well, we've done progressively better, thank you, Okay. every year. How many so, teams? Oh, my. There's 150,000 people that participate in this tournament. Really? It's the largest three-on-three basketball tournament in the world. There's so many people that we play in the lowest skill level bracket in a sub-bracket that is 48 to 52-year-olds. So that's, they can get into that kind of granularity with how they place you against people. Wow. That's, a, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. So we There's play, a huge advantage if someone's ten, got 10 years. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah. A huge advantage. And then a huge advantage if some guy was like, you know, played varsity basketball or played college ball or something. So, um, you know, one, one of, two of our buddies are, are okay. They played JV in high school. Uh, Leather and I never played anything. Um, so we're mostly there fouling and rebounding and our friends are shooting and scoring. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how we allocate the, uh, <laughs> the, the work. And do you have, so when you go, you could end up playing a number of times. It's obviously yeah, it's round robin. You can play up to like seven games and the games are the first two, I can't remember 20 or something. So it doesn't seem like that much, but these rims are incredibly unforgiving. It's hot out. And by the end of the game, you know, all these near 50 year old guys are all just kind of bent over just hoping that the other team wins. <laughs> so we, uh, we made it through. We did well last year, and now we, uh, we have a guy from the camp that's going to help us put together an offense. He's like a former All-American guy. You guys are really working it. Yeah, we're going to try. For, for, 
for four guys who probably don't want to keep moving on in the tournament, but you do. You're competitive. Yeah, well, we're going to get in good enough shape. I mean, we've been working out a lot, and and it's fun, and it's you know, it's great. It's a great friend thing. So it's really fun. We'll do it as long as we can. Who's the tallest? Who, uh, who who's the tallest one you have Leather. on the team? Leather. Yeah. So where does he go? Six. Six three. Six three. Six three. Six four. And I'm five ten. So we're a pretty even scale in between. Mm-hmm. Well, so, good. That sounds fun. It's awesome. Yeah, and I have something every year. You know, you're gonna do and work towards. Yeah, it's a mini reunion. I mean, we've known each other since we were twelve, so we've all been friends for a long time. So, do you have? A lot of, or I've found Facebook has brought me together with a ton of people from elementary school, junior high school, high school, zero from college. There's none of that. Huh. Well, it was too big. I went to University of Arizona, so. Right. And then I was kind of isolated, but um, in college, it wasn't, it wasn't the same social deal as it was in right. high school, so. Yeah, I mean, I grew up here in Portland, so there's just, I mean, the amount of people you run into every day is just amazing, and um. Yeah, Facebook, I, I do a little bit of it, not too much. It's just kind of overwhelming. You don't have time. You don't have a lot of time, and um, and those are kind of you know rabbit holes you can go down. So I try to just, uh, uh, basically I hear my mom often wants me to go on and look at something that some cousin has done, so I'll go on or you know, or see a post or something. Oh, so she's your Facebook consultant. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say I post twice a year on, uh, on Facebook, something. Oh, something I wish I could get to that, but I... It's addictive. Anyway, that be, that's beside the point. But you have people who do that for Chef's Table, for uh, sure, right? Yeah, and do now, a pretty good job of yeah, it? Yeah, now we do, yeah. yeah. Is, there, um, is there one person, Chef's Table, who handles all your restaurants for social no. media? No, all the restaurants do their own social media, and um, you know, it really depends on the partner. Most of our partners want a specific, vo- you know, they, it's their restaurant, so we don't kind of pretend to be able to talk for them. And, but sometimes we can help them like get photos ready or, you know. Sorry. Thought I turned this off. That's right. Sp- I texted you. <laughs> was that, was that you? Maybe you? No, yeah. I'll tell you, I can't, by the way, I, t- I think I generally took care of the spam call problem. An app called Umail. Oh, I did. I registered my phone for that, with that thing. With Umail. Yeah. Yeah. It works. So. So far, it's been working. Yeah, I've been happy with that. Yeah, so. they're going to have some legislation. Anyway, back to Chef's Table. Yes. And they have different... So you've got... So just for the, the uninitiated, can you run down the restaurants that Chef's Table is partners with? Oh, boy, yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, in terms... Well, I try to do them chronologically, but then I get lost. And um, then you forget, and the poor baby. For, right. You forgot the baby. So today I've been working on Ox. Um, so that's one... Uh, St. Jack, uh, Bistro Agnes, um, let's see, Cooper's Hall, Lardo, Grassa. Um, we just bought a, a brewery we're going to be doing some stuff with, with uh, McKellar, which is a Danish uh, brew group. I just read um, about that, yeah. We have, uh, we're partners at Hold Fast and Deadshot. Um, we have uh, a place in San Francisco uh, called The Pearl and a restaurant called School Night. Um, we have uh, uh, a bakery and uh, uh, called Dos Hermanos, uh, partners with Jasper Shen at XLB, um, who he just announced that we're opening something new. Mm-hmm. We have a catering uh, company called Chef's Table Catering. Um, oh my God. Does Chef's Table Catering draw, so can you get a... 
a St. Jack meal from such. You can get Aaron to come and like be a person at the, you know, be a personality at the event. Um, or there's certain St. Jack food items that are available and, uh, you know, restaurants and catering are just two totally separate businesses. So it often doesn't translate well, but you know, Rick, uh, Aaron, uh, Kathy Wims, people like that, they often do stuff for catering. It's great. Um, Boy, now I feel like a pressure not to forget uh, anybody. Uh, well, it's a long list. Oh, Loyal and besides, Legion. I broke you up. Uh, Loyal so. Legion is a bar we have, uh, which has been awesome. Uh, did you mention? Um, did you mention Grasa? Yes. Okay. Grasa. Um, we're going to be partners on a on a hotel called Kex. That's going to open in about three months. Um. Oh boy! If I can. That's well, all right. You can always fill it in and, yeah. and, we'll, and write us, and we'll figure out a way. <laughs> I think it's running this week, but if you can think of it, or we'll listen. Okay. Um, but the reason I ask that is because you're involved in a lot of things in Chef's Table for a while. You know, when it you first started, how many years ago? Almost exactly ten. Okay, congratulations Thanks. on ten. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I remember when we got together at um, Little T's. That oh, was little tea. Now that was after, but okay. you and I got together after I wrote you about Foster Burger. Foster, Burger. Foster Burger still yes. in the Foster Burger. Mix? Thank you. But we had a, a what was it called? Bing. I can't even remember. Ping. Ping. Jeez. Uh, we had lunch at Ping. That's when we first met, and okay. that was about ten years ago because yeah. I was starting my thing and you were doing your thing. But it was um, so. Now that it's matured a little bit, you're getting beyond just finding partners and building new restaurants now you've got a stable of proven winners and you know how to operate them and now you're doing some new things which is why we got into a little conversation last week about moving to the suburbs which i commend you for because um as someone who used to live in lake oswego now lives in southwest portland and if you can move something to manzanita in the manzanita area that would be great but as, but with the growing population and the traffic, living in Southwest Portland when I'm in Portland, every, you know I've said this to you before, but everybody's always opening everything. Southeast is hot, northwest, northeast, but Southwest has always been the bastard child of Portland food, yep. and like Oswego's even further southwest. So yep. to give people the opportunity there not to have to battle an hour of traffic to go get a nice meal somewhere at one of your restaurants. It's yeah, a good it's, thing. I mean, I think every restaurant owner in town, anytime they go to a, a, uh, a dinner party or an event or anything, everybody will ask them, when are you going to open up a, you know, name of your restaurant out here? And, uh, I probably, I, my guess that is the most common question that as a restaurant owner you hear. And where did you, so you, where have you heard the most of geographically? Oh. Everywhere. I mean, it, wherever the person's living is where they want the restaurant. So we, uh, you know, I was talking to Andy Ricker, you know, six, seven years ago about trying to go to the Burbs and think about it. And I thought a Pock Pock would do awesome uh, somewhere. And I've been continuing to bring up possibilities to, you know, Rick at Lardo and Grassa or, you know, na- you name it. And I think finally the opportunities are showing up where the landlords are being a little bit more aggressive than they were. And, uh, and my partners are also seeing the opportunity. So now, uh, the, we just announced a deal in Lake Oswego, which, you know, it's, I've been working on for two years 
and that's going to be six restaurants out there and uh, with six different concepts. And um, it just takes a long time to make these things happen. And in that period of time, it took a long time to get my partners to see the opportunity and, and to believe in it. And did you, it was, was it a, a six or nothing deal? You had to get all six to, I, want, I don't I, know what the space was going to look like. So on that one I did, I just, yeah. it's a, it's a, um, intersection of Boone's and Cruz, uh, out in Lake Oswego. And Is that where that little Walmart was, um, it's an intersection where there's currently like a Providence medical. Oh, Cruise, Cruise. I'm Cruise, sorry, it's Cruise further Way. north. Yeah, Cruise Way and Boone's Ferry. There's a T there, um, and it's on your way to Westland, Lake Grove, right. from Lake Oswego. And I just felt like, I always felt like there's going to be opportunities in the suburbs, but it really wasn't until places like Big's Chicken opened out in Beaverton, where, just to give one example, where people really said, wow, they're busy. Mm -hmm. And I think it started trickling down. Uh, you know, Rick and I looked at the location that Biggs went into in Beaverton, and uh, our partners, Jessica Silverman and Nick Sherman, really wanted to go there. And you, two years ago or three years ago, we, Rick and I just didn't see it. We just didn't understand, like, where are people going to come from? What is this place? It's just a different geography. It's a different setting, and we just didn't get it. And then Biggs opened, and they just were just crushing it. And so, and then of course, Jessica and Nick are coming to us saying, come on, I told you so, I told you so. So I think those kinds of experiences make you realize, wow, you know, there's, there's interesting stuff. And you go up to Vancouver on the waterfront there and see the restaurants and how busy they are all the time. And it makes you think, all right, you know, maybe there's something there. And uh, you go out to Lake Oswego and see, you know, that's where Christopher Lofgren took a bamboo sushi, uh, uh, salt and straw is out there. You know, Kim brought salt and straw out there and those two places are slammed. So you just realize, you know, there's a lot of people out there and they, they're also interested in local and, um, and they have a lot of disposable income to spend on restaurants that are likely to do that. Yeah. I think they have, you know, they're, they're, they're just as interested in, in people who live in Southeast and eating local. So they, uh, they love the opportunity. Uh, well, I'm, I, we hope that they, Embrace the opportunity to eat at uh, you know a locally owned restaurant instead of another op you know another another alternative. Right, I've thought so for years, and then once the traffic got, I thought pretty terrible. I thought this is a no brainer to to open up something so that people don't have to drive so far. Because I'm at I you know I love you know I love to go to restaurants, right. but I'm at the point where I have plans on going to Northeast from where I am in Southwest and they don't come to fruition because I look out on I-5 and I just, yeah, I'll just go somewhere closer with my sons. And, yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people, I mean, I'm moving, I grew up in, uh, Southwest and I've been living in Southeast since I moved back to Portland. Uh, but I'm going to move there. Uh, you know, you can have a yard in Southwest Portland. Yeah. We have a little yard <laughs> and we have a two car garage, you know? So nice. there's the, I think that that feels like, a place that uh, more and more of my colleagues are thinking about. We're moving to Multnomah Village, and uh, and that's where Mark just opened what three years ago. Uh, um, taste a bud. taste bud is doing really well. Have you ever been to Otto and Anita's Schnitzel House? Over I have. There? Yeah, it's one of my favorite spots. Yeah. no one knows about it. Yeah, it's great. Um, well, people know about it. There are people there. Yeah, but we. Um, I just I think that's where a lot of growth is going to happen. It's 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 congested downtown. And it's hard to get places. And uh, I mean, it takes longer for me to get where I live in Southeast, inner Southeast, to get downtown than my mom 
uh, from Southwest Portland, mm. you know, during the daytime, like, because we're right. just, Southeast traffic is always terrible. And then once you're out in Westland or you're out in Lake Oswego or you're out in Lake Grove, coming in is a nightmare. Mm. So, uh, and, and the testimony is how busy Bamboo is or how busy Chucky Pies is or how busy Salt and Straw is. These places are just busy. St. Honoré's out there too. St. Honoré does well. Um, you know, ironically, I moved here in 2005 to Lake Oswego and one of the draws was, you know, I lived 90 miles outside of New York City and outside of New Haven. That was a big deal to get into a big city. The traffic was awful. I saw this Pakistander lined Highway 43. I get out of Lake out of Portland into Lake Oswego in 15, 20 minutes, yeah. and then I moved here. And I remember writing my friends and saying, "On a Friday afternoon, it only takes me 20 minutes to get from Portland home." Right. And that is not that in those days 14 are over. years. Those days are completely over. Yeah. With. And they even fixed that little bottleneck down on I-5, and that, that hasn't helped at all. So, um, yeah, uh, so there's traffic problems, and there's also crime problems. How have those affected your restaurants? I, I see break-ins all the time, and you've got, you know, people outside of, homeless people outside of yeah, restaurants. I don't feel like it's the crime, homelessness. I mean, it's a civic issue um, that... I think everybody in the city is aware of and wants to work on. I don't feel like it's impacted our restaurants except for in Old Town Chinatown. Old Town Chinatown is kind of the this you know concentrated problem down there. Um, and I mean, I remember one of my business partners, Sean, was just taking uh, was going to a meeting down at the Hoxton, which is a beautiful hotel, super nice. And uh, you know, as he shows up, there's somebody just taking a leak on their door on this beautiful, beautiful hotel front door. And you think, that's not good for business. Mm -hmm. um, but if I, and we have restaurants everywhere, and I can't say that uh, it's really, uh, it's really hurt us anywhere. And we've had places, even when Loyal Legion opened, we have an event space upstairs called Evergreen. At the beginning, that whole area there was just a mess. And there was a store that sold these uh, like 16 ounce cans of, like eleven percent alcohol juice for like two ninety nine, so it was a huge draw for people that needed a lot of alcohol for very little money, and so that whole area around there was a disaster. But it didn't stop us from getting busy and then keeping busy. And um, so I don't, I don't feel like it really impedes business that much until you get to a certain concentration, like in Old Town Chinatown, where it's truly, you know, it is in my in my opinion it is the number one kind. Uh, break or impediment to, to, to that area getting more uh, economically dynamic. It's just nobody wants to go down there. And the only thing that works is nightlife. And then the nightlife, I think that the homeless are afraid of the people that come down for the nightlife. So they clear out. Um, but aside from those two demographics, there's not a lot of uh, people venturing down there. Yeah, that, I was talking with a guy who's got a food cart down there. And I said, well, I, I was down there at like 1030 at night. No, there's not aren't many people. He said, "This is the safest time to come because they're all they've right. all gone their own ways," which I thought was pretty interesting. Let's pause briefly here, Chris. Talk about our favorite place to eat in town, Ringside Steakhouse. Where, as a matter of fact, I just had the opportunity to go last night for a little Sunday night dinner. Mm. Um, so you went there for Easter? Well, I had I went with my girlfriend to a wonderful 
Easter lunch at her daughter's. Okay. So, uh, but then I was a little hungry. That was right. So that was an early lunch. Why not cap off Easter? I'm sitting at home and I thought, man, uh, ringside. Some of the the onion soup. I had a Jones for their onion soup. Yeah. Which is awesome, and it smelled so good. It was worth just going there for the smell, even if I couldn't eat it. Yep. Just to smell it. It was great. And um, so I had that and a Caesar salad, which was great, which is nice light meal. No meat at ringside last night. Right. But uh, but I did have the opportunity. Um, I met a server I have never met there before, Angelica. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful woman who I asked her recommendations on the menu because we you know we've asked Craig, the owner, what he suggests. Right. But now it's good to hear what she liked. Mm-hmm. And so... She, of course, said the bone-in ribeye, which right. is the first thing that came to mind for her, and that we both love. Yep. We've ordered that before. But something I've never had there, the fried shrimp. She said it's just the best I've had fried that. shrimp. You, yeah. Oh, I've had that. I, I get. I In fact, I add that on almost every single time I'm there. Oh. It's so not, good. I haven't had it yet. Yeah. So now, but speaking, it's also on the happy hour menu. Yeah. So um, I love happy hour. You can get the shrimp cocktail for I think it's five seventy five, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful and they're big, and you can also get the fried shrimp for the same same thing. Oh man! At happy hour now, ringside happy hour is after nine o'clock or earlier in the day on Sundays. Yep. Don't forget they've got the three course supper special every single night, and on Mondays prime time prime rib three course prime rib dinner for just thirty five bucks. Thirty five bucks. Last. That's ringside steakhouse oh, we're yeah. talking about. It's, that is not. Yeah. That's not the buffet spot down nope. the street. That's nope. ringside. Prime rib, three courses. So um, that and try the fried shrimp next time you go as well. I'm going to do that. Maybe we'll see each other there. As you should, set up a reservation. You can do that at ringsidesteakhouse.com. Hey, Chris, we'd like to welcome our great sponsor, Gen Air at Standard TV and Appliance. Yeah, it's awesome. They were with us a couple of years ago, but appropriate now. Both in their, uh, both started in 1947, and just last year, Gen Air launched a beautiful series of new appliances they really upgraded everything they have two lines rise and noir for you to check out at standard tv and appliance tell us a little bit about them court well both of these lines connect to wi-fi so that you can use them using your amazon alexa or maybe you've got a google assisted enabled device like a google home connect and control appliances remotely like if you want to set the uh, oven before you get home you can do that get real-time notifications you can contact gen air call center through them and get this Get a recipe from Yumly through the device. More than one. You yeah. can do a few of them. And not only that, you can attach your dishwasher to Amazon and get get lo- dishwasher detergent delivered w- without even thinking about it. Nothing is worse than running out of dishwasher detergent and not, not realizing it, but your dishwasher or your washing machine are going to know this. Absolutely. So both the Noir and Rise line feature irresistible interiors illuminated by cinematic and chef's lighting, which is really cool. You got to see these smooth racks and flat tines, an expanse of dark glass. Really easy way for you to check out these lines. You can Google search Gen Air Rise or Gen Air Noir. That's one way to check these out, but there's an even better way to do it. Let's go down to Standard TV and Appliance. They have four locations, mm-hmm. one in Beaverton, two in Portland. The showrooms are beautiful and you'll be able to see them uh, not only in the showrooms, but on the, on the showroom floor and uh, also one in Bend for our millions of listeners out that way Mm -hmm. so uh talk a little bit about more about that lake oswego project when it's going to be open and uh what that's going to look like at that now i have a real read on where that is that's almost you couldn't be any that's a nice location because it's quick from i-5 yeah and And it's about a mile out of lake oswego center right, right where the lake is 
but it's on your way to all sorts of those, you know, Westland outlying areas. So it's in a, I think it's in a pretty central area, very easy to get to. It's going to be, um, it's going to be residential, commercial, um, and it'll have, I think, about 220 parking spaces dedicated just to uh, the commercial activity. Um, we will have uh, 15,000 square feet of, of food and beverage, and that's the limit that Lake Oswego will allow you to build in development. And then the balance of the, I want to say, 35,000 square feet is going to be stuff like a pharmacy and uh, you know, prepared food grocer and things like that. And I've been actively talking to people that I hope come in with us. Um, you know, there's some brands out there I would love to see. Um, so that'll be about 50,000 square feet or so, but built on top of that is going to be residential. And I believe there's, um, 200 and some, uh, residential units that are there and they have their own parking. So, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting development. Um, so you'll have, you know, people who actually live there, you have enough parking to bring people in. Um, and there's not a ton of dining outside of Lake Oswego. You know, that's a, it's a pocket area. I think that's really interesting. So we'll have Lardo, Grassa, uh, St. Jack, Oven and Shaker, Loyal Legion, and uh, a sixth one that we're still figuring out. We're going to kind of see how this sorts out because we have, I think, anywhere from two to three years for it to open. They're just starting work. So you know, in the past, we usually would do projects with about three months warning. You know, somebody would come to us and say, this restaurant folded and the opportunity would be there and we'd jump on it and do something. Um, it's rare for us to plan three to four years out. So it's quite a ways out for mm-hmm. us. You know, in our in our world, that feels like a forever. It'll go quickly. But, and all of, <clears throat> all but Lardo and Grasso only have had have one location now so yeah so there's two grasses there's two lardos um we're opening a new grassa uh at uh right across the street from the original lardo on hawthorne mm-hmm. um that'll be open in about five months so by the time uh we open lake oswego there could be anywhere from three to five grasses already open um we don't have any plans right now of opening another lardo we have you know we have the vegas location and then the two in portland I think we'll sit tight on those until uh, until Lake Oswego. But who knows? I mean, sometimes opportunities yeah, pop up. Happen. I think, this is out of the blue, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, oh my God, Noble Rot would do well in Lake Oswego. Absolutely. Because the wine, the wine focus of his yeah. restaurant. Yeah, and we had thought also about Cooper's Hall. You know, but he's, that, not, he's not a chef's table restaurant. You guys are just good friends. Yeah. And why is that? Well, why isn't he? He's just doing his own thing, and he's done yeah. It for we a don't long want to time. work together. That'd be terrible. Yeah, yeah we, it's we, like getting married. It's like yeah, being married. We, and we like hanging out and chatting, and you know, I think he's hilarious, and uh, he's just a really good friend. So, no reason to do business together. Yeah, that's good. Smart. That's yeah, kind of what I thought the answer w- would be, <laughs> but I was just curious. But I think that would do well out there. Yeah, we got. You know, I think that um, we're gonna. Uh, we're very close to doing a deal out in Cedar Hills. Um, we haven't signed yet, so I can't say anything yet. There's probably two deals we're going to do up in Vancouver. Um, again, it's not signed, uh, one out in Beaverton. Um, we've got a place opening in Sacramento, uh, in November. Um, and then we're, you know, we just are submitting tomorrow, finally the airport RFPs. So there's a big expansion at the airport. 
So we're submitting for five different locations out there, cr crossing our fingers that maybe we'll get selected. And um, Are airport locations very profitable or are they... And or are they really great marketing opportunities, especially now that Portland has become a food tourist destination? They are very, very busy. Yeah. Very busy. And um, and in the RFP that the airport issued, uh, the request for proposal RFP, they uh, detail how er how much everybody's making in terms of total income. And because they get paid by percentage rent, mm -hmm. the airport's percentage rent only. <laughs> And you look at some of the numbers and it's just eye popping. So, um, and most of them, I think probably 90 some percent of the deals out there are managed by national groups. So for instance, uh, Kenny and Zooks is a, is a management deal. So it's not like Ken Gordon's out there running that restaurant. There's a group that runs it and then pays, uh, a royalties fee, um, for all of that business. And, uh, we are choosing the route of, uh, trying to be direct leaseholders. We're applying to run them and own them and build them ourselves. Um, so What's, that's... How's Country Cat done? Awesome. No, I mean, also, is that is that Jackie it's, it's and like Adam a, or is it, that a... It's a hybrid. They have a manager out there, mm -hmm. um, really great guy. Brian? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah, great guy. Yeah. And uh, so he's out there. So they are more engaged than normal in a management deal, uh, but it, I don't believe that they had to use their own money to build it out. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, I believe they still get paid a royalties fee, but it's it's very common. It's just like what we have in Vegas. Mm -hmm. right? It's a very common way of doing things. Um, but we're gonna, you know, we've applied to for these five to be the leaseholder. We'll raise the money to do it. But it's those are intimidating projects because they're about three times as expensive as a normal place. So if you normally spend three hundred thousand dollars on a restaurant for a small restaurant, you're going to spend nine hundred at the airport. So the economics are really frightening. And why is that so much more? The space is the space. Is it the is it the the logistics of construction? And well, everything has has three layers of oversight that you wouldn't normally. You know, it's a federal site. You have it, there's security questions like your ventilation. Ultimately, they're not built to have food inside of them. They're a you know they're a secure location. So you know, cutting through the, you know, the floor or cutting through the ceiling to get your venting out. Everything's more complicated. To get people there, they have to go through TSA stuff. So it's not like you can just show up at the airport with your crew of guys that you work with and just say, hey, we're going to do it. Everything has to be vetted. But I tell you, they, they have been such a pleasure to work with the airport and the people um, at, a port of, at the Port of Portland who are uh, helping kind of encourage people to apply. Uh, it's really cool. You know, they, they're really dedicated to local ownership. They're really dedicated to local concepts. They're really putting in the work to have, um, you know, food out there that's uh, representative of the Portland scene. And, um, you know, I hope we get, I hope we get one. It'd be great. But I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours to apply for these things. So it's, it's pretty intimidating. But if we get it, it's great. You know, I, I, I know for a fact that uh, uh, the Sappingtons are very happy with their deal and and you've seen all the numbers so you know who should be happy correct yeah, everybody should be yeah. happy yeah, okay <laughs> if you is there anybody who should be the happiest uh yeah the people that own henry's i mean uh i don't know even know who that is but they're doing more income at the airport than they are downtown in the pearl uh, at, on burnside and they only have like 2400 square feet at the airport and they're doing more than they're doing in like 8,000 square feet downtown. And so. it's interesting. If, I bet you if you go back and eat her for the last four years, there's not a, there's not a story on Henry's. No. 
Yeah. No. It's a, I mean, I, I don't know if it's local. I don't know anything about that group, but yeah. you know, from looking at the numbers that they provide, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, people spend a lot of, you know, a lot of money at their well, you got expense, uh, expense accounts. And it starts oh. early, you know, yeah. like the restaurants are packed at four thirty five 5 a.m. Right. So that's the cultural shift that you have to get used to. There may be a day where you can fly into Portland and not even have to get an Uber. You can just go to the airport, <laughs> I eat, think so. and, and leave. Yeah, it'll never be as good, right. you know, because you're, the ticket times have to be incredibly fast because people can't wait. You know, so you go to La, Hardo, Lardo, Lardo on Hawthorne, and, you know, in a busy, busy uh, Friday, Saturday, you know, you have 15, 20 minute wait to get a sandwich because we're just packed in big lines. And that's, that's, uh, that's pretty quick, I think. It's, uh, yeah, but that's not, it's got to be, I think the cap that they say is like five minutes at the airport. Oh, at the airport. Yeah. So. Do you remember the, uh, the food cart days uh, in yeah. Belmont? Rick used to just get in conversations with people like nine, where, <laughs> while nine people were waiting for their sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so things have changed quite a bit. Yeah. Where are they expanding at the airport? Where do they have more? Where are they going to have more space? So the E gates getting expanded, mm-hmm. and they're adding a whole ton. That's first phase. That's 2020, and then the B gate is getting a big remodel as well. So, um, so I don't know how much you want to get inside baseball here, no, but they're no, moving all curious. of Southwest Airlines to the E, the new E area, mm-hmm. um, and then Alaska is having a is taking their place up at the. Uh, the C area, I believe, believe, is where they are. And then B is getting this big remodel in 2021. But Southwest airline flyers spend uh, a considerable amount more on food and beverage than anybody else, hmm. which is totally counterintuitive. Right. And and they spend more specifically on alcohol, which is also a little bit counterintuitive or maybe completely intuitive. And these are the people who have the seats, <laughs> seat choices left up to themselves. On the plane, I, I've too. got a theory on that. I think you know that. It's, you, you get, you're getting in line to fight for your seat, so you <laughs> right. want to liquor up a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A nice Bloody Mary at 4.30 right. a.m. Makes it a little more tolerable. <laughs> I've always loved that, by the way, not to get off the subject, but I've always loved their seating model because I like to go in and pick who I'm going to sit next to instead of being stuck. Right there, but um, yeah, well, that's really interesting. I know I like getting inside baseball because those are things we may not think about, or we just we had no idea. Long? It's just awesome. So you think about, you know, you put in a. It really affects kind of what we applied for, um, and they're going to create the first ever uh, airport cocktail bar at the end of Gate E. Be- big beautiful cocktail bar. So we're partnering with the Lightning Bar guys to propose a bar down there, and um, so it'd be you know I think it's. It's pretty transformative, the whole, you know, everything they're doing out there. And I think it's, and that's just phase one, then B is phase two. And then they have another big phase, like where you check in, they're going to change all that as well. So it's really, you know, the airport's uh, growing a lot. Well, as the city is and as Chef's Table is too. So now does, you know, you have partnerships with creative chefs and they do their thing. And so the model has always been, they make their decisions on the food with some consultation on what's profitable yeah. and so forth. But now it sounds like more of the operations end is going to, as you grow is more important Is chef's table itself, your company growing, are you adding more employees yeah. um, because of this type of growth? You don't need more employees to run ox, the, no. the ox that exists. No, but then, you know, then Greg and Gabby add uh, Agnes, right. And, that was already under our wing when it was Gruner originally. Right. 
Um, or an, a restaurant I forgot is La Moule. By the way, where's Chris Israel? Chris is still here in Portland. He I, mean, is. I, I see his posts every now and then. Oh. So I'm just curious. I've seen him. Or he's not. A, he's not running a restaurant. Yeah, or? I saw him at a good friend's holiday party a while ago. Okay. Um, yeah, just great guy. But mm-hmm. he, you know, he just wanted to step back, and uh, I think he's enjoying himself. You know, I guess as we get older, more of that is going to happen. Where these chefs that we've known are just. Now, you know, we just ha- we just had Corey Schreiber, yeah, uh, on the podcast, and he was fascinating. What he's doing, he's not he's he's active. He's doing a lot now, but um, yeah, it's just not in the restaurant game, right? Right, and it makes a lot of sense. And I just you know, Scott Dolich is we're going to try to help uh, get involved with a nonprofit that does um, uh, training, kind of helping provide restaurant training for uh, people transitioning out of difficult situations. And Scott's going to be the executive chef for that program. Oh, great. Um, and, uh, I'd like us to get involved somehow. So Scott's doing that, which I think is super admirable. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a tough game to stay in for a long time and it just churns through. So, but yeah, back to, we're growing, we're growing a lot. We're going to have to grow. How many employees do you have? Uh, in, in the office, the central office itself, I believe we have 16. Um, and then, uh, and then in the whole group, uh, we have about 600 um, all in. Impressive. Uh, and that's that's allocated out over probably 21 or 22 places. Uh, and then, but then we're adding, you know, in the next three years, we're adding upwards of uh, 16. So we're going through a huge growth phase right now. And that's going to, you know, demand a whole bunch. Any fun ones you can talk about that you're at liberty to discuss? That we- well, we just announced Friday this partnership with uh, McKellar, which is a, uh, a Danish brewery, and uh, inside of that, uh, inside of that pop up, is going to be another pop up with a chef um, who and we haven't announced that yet, but it's a really cool story of his story. And then we hope on the design side, there's we're going to be partnering with uh, uh, kind of a local, um, how would it like? Uh, it's a local company that that sources really interesting furniture and knickknacks. And we hope they're going to do a pop-up there to help furnish it. So, but that was something that isn't planned That's out. The same thing at Quava Coffee yeah, with exactly. Bamboo, Bamboo. Yeah. So, and that, I mean, that came out, I found out about uh, Burnside probably two months ago. You know, right when they closed, I kept leaving notes under the door uh, saying, hey, I'm interested. And I didn't get contacted until two days before this, uh, the guy from Denmark was coming to visit me because we've been talking for a while about opening a place for them. And, you know, all of a sudden it, they called me, we went and visited and he loved it. And, you know, the big boss in Denmark loved it. So we were like, let's make it happen. But we had eight weeks or six weeks to do it. We had to do the buyout. So that's, that's kind of in the more traditional mode of how we did things, which is just things pop up and spastically we throw them together because we think it's going to be a, be some cool synergies um and that'll be awesome but that'll only really be six months and then we're going to kind of find out what happens down the road but uh, we hope to launch a restaurant concept out of that pop-up um with this chef but yeah it's just you know in 10 years ago you weren't doing a lot of this you've learned a lot in 10 years i'm sure learned a lot and the big thing that we've you know a, a huge thing for us is that we can move quickly now um, and in the past, doing a deal like Burnside would have been really hard because I wouldn't have been able to go out and find the money to to do it. So you have pretty you have a lot of sources for for. We have more investment. than we did, and and this time we actually used traditional 
lending and a bank wouldn't touch any restaurant deal um, before because they're always startups, but now we have, you know, a better track record. And, um, uh, you know, we close down restaurants when they don't work or we can't make them work. But, um, you know, we're really, really good about uh, standing up to our obligations on the debt side um, and on the lease side. And those are the two things that banks and landlords really look at, you know. So, so I would imagine, you know, they're all creative enterprises, but do you have to, you've, you've had a couple, well, there was one time you came on the podcast, you hadn't yet had anything that closed. You hadn't had a failure yet. <laughs> That's happened now. Are there any that are in your tenure at Chef's Table that disappointed you the most or that shocked you the most that this didn't, yeah, this was a slam dunk and it's, it didn't work. Oh, well, the biggest disappointment uh, is, is Ping that we, you know, closed or that Or that down. I couldn't even remember the name of it at yeah. this point. <laughs> um, so Ping was the, probably the biggest, like the most personally disappointing because I loved, I yeah, loved that restaurant. Yeah, that was restaurant. a great restaurant. And it actually still is one of those restaurants. I still I still can that, that whole Pompano there. It's just, and it's, uh, it's actually one that I feel like when you reminisce about restaurants, you know, some of the duds we've had, nobody wishes they were still open, but, uh, <laughs> paying, paying definitely everybody, everybody I talked to wishes it was still open. It was just a great, it was a great restaurant and, uh, just such a tough location and timing. Oh, and that's bad. the location you just cited. The old town, know, Chinatown. Before it even got to where it is. Imagine now, if you, yeah. even if you've gotten this far. Now what's cool is that the guys from Submarine just opened a, while, uh, you know, while Ava Jeans is. Uh, getting remodeled, they're doing a pop-up in the old Davis Street Tavern space, mm -hmm. which is so cool. And uh, I got a hold of Joshua just saying, man, we really want to support that however we can because Old Town Chinatown just needs help. It is, I mean, of all the downtown area, architecturally, it is the coolest by so many miles. Like when you just walk around and look up and, and check things out, it is a super, super cool part of town. Um, but it's just a mess. And it's a bummer because it just feels like for 10 years, it's been on the cusp of something awesome and it just can't get over that hump. Um, and I hope that the Hoxton is one of the things that helps push it over because that's a, that was a big deal. So what needs to happen politically to change that uh, in your mind? I mean, everybody's got opinions and no one's got great solutions. It, yeah, it seems. I, that's a, I mean, man, I don't know. I, I just, there's just a paralysis. And, uh, uh, and I don't know what the right solution is, but the city can't, can't make decisions and can't make change. Um, and so a town, you know, a part of town like old town, Chinatown just suffers. Um, so I, I don't know what the solution is. So what do you see for uh, chef's table 10 years from now? What's your, you've got, you're, you're a vision guy. You have to have that. And you maybe, and you may say, oh no, 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 it's five years because right. you don't work like that. Oh, no, I'm a, I, like, I, We'll still be doing it. I mean, the number of guys, chefs that I talk to that, you know, I'll ask kind of, you know, hey, what do you have planned out in five years or whatever? And I would say uh, of the guys that I've asked that question to in the last year, probably 85% are like, man, I'm out of the game in 10 years. In 10 years, I'm going to be on a boat. Right. That's what they all say. Is and, that, would that generally be someone over 50 who's no, saying, I don't want to do this? No, anymore? it's just the, the grind is hard and... Some people love it, and then some people really see it as a as a means to get out, um, because it's just a lot of pressure and whatever. You know, it's just the business. So you either love it or you don't. And um, I love it. 
I was just going to ask you, how about you? Because you've got, you know, it's a lot of pressure. You've got a lot of restaurants that are coming to you with problems. Yeah. Often. Yeah. I mean, in, in three years, we'll be at 40 restaurants and then, and then we're looking at other things. You know, we have a hotel we're part of. We're getting involved in real estate stuff, which I think is really interesting just because that may actually be a way that I can put money aside, you know, for my daughter's education because restaurants aren't good at putting money aside. Well, that's a very, cause we've discussed this on, on the podcast quite a bit in Portland. There aren't a lot, you don't see a lot of restaurant owners and chefs getting wealthy, getting no. driving Mercedes. Um, and you're one would think just the layperson looking at what you're doing. That guy's doing really well. He's, he's putting it away for his daughter's education. I'm sure they're buying a big house in Multnomah yeah. village. Yeah. I think uh, that's the, but you know, that was the same when we had three restaurants or five or 10, you know, but we also, I mean, when we have a failure, I try to eat all of the failure. I try never to pass it along to um, investors. And sometimes I've had to, but I've definitely eaten 90% of all of our failures. Uh, only twice had to pass along uh, any losses. And those were partial losses to investors. It's just such a small town and you don't want to, everybody needs to know that you're going to, you're going to bleed before they bleed. And I can't ever guarantee that the ideas that are being brought to us to partner on are good ideas um, or that are going to work, you know, or that the team that we're going to start working with is going to be able to execute them. I can't promise those things. Um, and so in certain ways, very, you know, I'm envious of, um, of a guy like John Gorham who has a way of doing things. You know, it is his way and he imposes it. Uh, and I think that their success is a testimony to that because they, they cut out a lot of the variables. And so it's always delicious. It's always great service, you know. But when you're constantly working with new people on new concepts and new things, you can't control all those same right. variables. And it just makes it... He knows what he's getting into when he opens a restaurant because it's, he's growing from within. He's, yeah, he's, there, there's he's one, you know, there's guys, a leader. There's really two, you know, I think he, he and Renee are really a team at the top. And there's no question about who's in charge and what the direction is and what the values are and everything else. And, and we're just a multi-headed thing. Um, I'm certainly not at the top of all those things. You know, I'm just a partner uh, in all of them. And we try to control as many of the things as we can without imposing kind of a, uh, a you know, a uniformity on, uh, on the restaurants. Why, you know, we don't want uh, anybody to walk into Ox and feel like it's the same thing as Lardo, right? It's just different. No, yeah, it's, it's, and we just, we want it to be different. And uh, so there, there's, but at the same time, we can also do a lot more because we can work with lots of different people. And we've gotten, you know, we've gotten better at that. So, you know, Jasper's opening a new place. So super excited about that. And, you know, we're going to, you know, Ann Gross it's is Jasper opening. Jasper Shen, just Jasper because Shen. we have to assume that yeah. everybody doesn't know. Jasper Shen at XLB is opening a new place in Slabtown. That's going to be around the same time that Rick opens a new Grassa. And so I happen to be a partner in both of them. And Chef Stable happens to uh, help project manage both of them. But we still have, you know, Jasper as... Uh, Jasper now and Laura Tran is who, who's our other partner, you know, kind of being the visionaries on that and making sure that everything is perfect. And then, uh, you know, Jessica, Nick and Rick on Grasa. So we have a lot more people involved, but that also allows us to do a lot more things, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's be, you know, it's hard to open 12 to 16 restaurants in, you know, two, three years. 
a lot of work. Um, but we've scaled enough where, you know, we have three people and all they do are on new projects. You know, we just, we have three people that are full-time job is to do uh, project management. So we're, they're working on everything. And uh, we have, you know, really we have, we're about to have three full-time people in HR and blah, blah, blah. So we're just scaling to be able to absorb that kind of growth. And so you've also got a young family. So you have a work-life balance to manage. Yeah, to I manage. Imagine. Yeah. And, you know, when you started Chef's Table, you didn't have that. You're I did not guy. have that. Single guy living in my mom's basement. Oh, really? You know? I didn't realize yeah, that. Well, you were that guy on the internet that they talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to be. Right. But, uh, yeah. I mean, when I moved back to Portland, yeah, I just, I knew I was going to start a business. And I just asked my mom if I could uh, live in her basement because I just, you know, there's just no reason... There's no reason for me to spend a bunch of money on rent when all I'm going to do is wake up, you know, go work all day, come home and, and sleep, especially when you do restaurants. Cause you don't even need to go home to eat. You right. see at the restaurant. So right. I just get there early and have coffee and then eat lunch and then eat dinner. And then, you know, around midnight, go home and wake up early and go back and do it again. But that's not the, that's not the case now. No, no, it can't be. And I, yeah, we have, I have a, a 14 year old stepson, Tommy, and a, a three-year-old daughter, Cora, and so now, yeah, now I'm in it, and uh, so I try to do my best, and it's it's hard to find the balance because restaurants are you know seven days a week, um, and we're doing a lot, so the demands are um, pretty intense. But it, you know, try to find time to get home, and I think I do a pretty good job of that. Yeah, well, but it's a uh, yeah, the balance is hard. It's nothing, you know, nothing that not everybody has to deal with. Right. Well, some people do it better than others. Yeah. And some people prioritize differently than yeah. others. So. And I, yeah, hopefully I do a good job. Um, but Should we want to get Heather on the phone? Should we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it depends on the day. Call in second. Depends on the day. I just got back from a three-day basketball camp in Santa Barbara. So, right. you know, clearly uh, the work-life balance is sometimes away from the family. But uh, Does she get some time away where you, where you watch Cora oh, I yourself? Love it. I love it. I love that. So it's, uh, and I want, I know that I need to, I mean, the only time I try to explain to her that like the only time this maybe at least since January 1st, where I've actually not thought at all about the restaurants was during basketball camp because a, I'm not very good. Um, so I'm really having to pay attention to what they're saying. Um, and I'm interested in getting better a little bit, you know, so I can contribute a little bit more when we go play in our tournament and for, you know, for nine hours on Saturday, I was just locked in to really trying to do better and trying to learn these offensive schemes. And um, I played rugby my whole life, so I don't, it's just, I, you know, you try to draw parallels, but it's just different. And so it was awesome. You know, I finished the day and it was probably the first, you know, the first nine hours, at least in five or six months where I hadn't, or I didn't think about anything but, uh, you know, what, what I was doing. And so that was, it's, it's hugely liberating to have that. Um, cause even at home, you know, when you're with your family, the phone's going off and it's just going off and off and off. I would imagine yours doesn't stop. And there's just always a crisis or a sink breaking or a problem or this or that. So you just, you try to, you have to be very good at compartmentalizing. And, um, so this was great. I mean, I just went there and, uh, you know, I can't have my phone in my hand when I'm <laughs> being told how to dribble a ball. So, you know, for nine hours, I was just... You mean you can't pull out the app and just hit shoot and <laughs> see what happens? <laughs> no, but this, the, the shooting coach, great guy named Fred, he had, um, he had an app. 
to kind of analyze our shooting technique and like yeah, the alignment of our body and where our legs and knees and everything was. It was it was amazing. So he had the app. <laughs> so what? Uh, so to bookend this, we started with basketball. When I'm with basketball, it's a, it's a fun time. We ju- we were just recording a few days after after a little little that Damian Lillard's crazy three pointer. Yes. Um, what did you learn in this last the basketball camp you just went to? What was the the thing you think you learned that is going to help you most? Oh boy. Well, I think on the shooting side. You know, offensive schemes, I'm not sophisticated enough or have enough experience to really understand the bigger picture. Um, I now know where to go, you know, where not to go. And I think that's really important. You know, in rugby, we used to always talk about, uh, you know, moving with purpose and intent whenever you're without the ball and with the ball. That was just a critical part of being effective on the field and not getting in the way of other people. So my whole goal was to learn enough to not get in the way uh, to at least be able to move quickly and decisively to a chess table too. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. you get in the way, but you're trying yeah, you just to get let the people hell out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People to know. So I don't know really how to score. So it's like get out of the way so my buddies Mark and Jeff can score. Um, but I think the most gratifying was just actually understanding the mechanics of shooting. And this guy's like a renowned shooting coach that was there, and he just breaks it down into photos and slow motion and everything. Wow. And, they know, couldn't. They didn't do that in my day. It was awesome. And he, he, I went through this whole shooting lesson and then I went out and played, uh, played a game and you know, the guys on the side of the court, sh- you know, yelling at me to shoot it when I have it. And I'm out in three point land. I was like, this is not where I shoot, right? I don't usually shoot period. And he's just like, shoot it. And I, and I switched two three pointers and I was like, Hey, this is awesome. Like what, what just happened here? <laughs> Apparently I learned, I learned something, but it just, you know, so that's very gratifying, right? To actually see a result of something like that. So it was, it was cool. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to contribute up in Spokane this year. Well, um, that's cool. You know, I really wanted to, we're out of time. We, I wanted to talk about the whole Portland food world and how that's changed outside yeah. of Chef's Table. Yeah. And uh, we didn't really get an opportunity to do that. But is there fluff to cut? Oh, fluff to cut. Yeah, I mean, did oh, I ramble I was only in here for probably a third of the interview. I wouldn't cut any of this fluff. Yeah, <laughs> some um, good fluff. No, the fluff is. A, I like the fluff. Um, but no, but it's an I exciting think be- time in Portland restaurants. The better solution is to have you right. back to do that. So, if you have time, here's my one takeaway. Yes, everybody was afraid that Portlanders wouldn't pay the prices we had to charge to stay open with minimum wage going up, with the minimum wage of the salad, guys picking the salad to put on the table, to the brewers to make the beer, to put in the glasses, you know, to pick the grapes to put in the wine, blah, blah, blah. Everybody was afraid that Portlanders wouldn't pay, and these news restaurants are showing us that Portlanders are are willing to pay. The new restaurants opening for the, are, by and by, more expensive than what a lot of us would have charged three or four years ago. But is that primarily the hotel restaurants that can afford to do that because they've got expense accounts right there? Um, is that going to maybe? Is that but universal? those hotel, yeah, I thought about that when, and I, you know, those hotel restaurants still depend on the same clientele that we all depend on. I think Portlanders have just shown that there's a willingness to pay that uh, all of us were anxious about, and uh, so that's encouraging because uh, you know it's a we always think of Portland as a price sensitive town, but you know I uh, I'm I'm reassured to see that things have stayed 
busy and that uh, because we've had to raise our prices as the minimum wage goes up or as our raw you know product costs go up just to kind of stay at where we were. And um, so that that's encouraging. Um, but it's also becoming congested and um, and and I think the next big trend is going to be in you know growth outside of the city. I think we're just going to go where the people are. So that's you know that's what I see happening in the next two years or so. Well, I also think that there's um, that you've got a lot of people who've moved here from the Bay Area, yeah, and more expensive places, and that's part of that equation. They've already been paying those prices yes. to go to restaurants. So yeah, and and I would imagine there are some people. Well, globally, maybe the prices are being accepted, but there are probably some people who are not able to go out to eat as much. And uh, so the the game is changing a little bit. We have to stay really vigilant as an industry to make sure we don't turn into San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And as a city that we don't turn into San Francisco, because we can't be a dining place where everything downtown is $50 entrees. You know, that it leads to, it, it leads to a boring scene. Um, and, uh, you know, that'd be, that'd be a bummer. And, and, uh, and we have fewer food carts or, or I don't know if they're fewer, but the places we're used to seeing them yeah, are gonna, going fewer to go places away that they can be. Right. And that's going to move out. So I hope is, I hope we figure out a way to make sure that for every, you know, $55 entree place, there's also other places because otherwise it really drives down kind of the diversity of choice. So. Well, I uh, I hope that all the projects you're working on are the three point swishes for you. <laughs> Can't always have them. You're going to have to watch some not hit and run away. But um, but I hope there are a lot of good ones for you and uh, and good luck with those. And we still would like to. I don't think we covered the whole Poland food food scene. So I'd like yeah. to have you back. Yeah, are, no problem. Are you doing? Did you ever start your? Uh, you're going to have a studio in your. A chef's table, a little uh, recording studio. Phase two, phase two. I'm trying to buy the warehouse. So oh, okay. if I can buy it, and I'm going through permitting right now to be able to do stuff in there, um, and we're almost there. We're almost Because Court and I meet weekly that, that Kurt and Leather are going to give us a big run for our money here. So <laughs> we're really nervous. When so the hotline comes out. <laughs> yeah, so we've been, we've been having that discussion uh, for yeah. what, five years now? Something right. like that, yeah. yeah right. so well, we the, good, the good thing is that the three people that listen to our podcast <laughs> are probably accept bribes. So you guys could just, you could pay off my mom and Leather's mom and whoever the third person is listening. I'm guessing we already had them and lost them. <laughs> yeah. They've been here and gone. So uh, anyway, well, thank you so much for coming, especially on short notice. Yeah, of course. No and, problem. And uh, I haven't seen you. I hope to run into you somewhere soon. Yeah. And one last thing. Can you open something on the coast? Something good? We have such a dearth of, and I know it's really difficult. That's why there aren't a lot of great yeah. Food opportunities. We so. like right now. We're just staying to places we can drive. I to. know you're gonna. I knew you're gonna say that, but I just felt felt like I had a lobby for something. Yeah, we like a fifteen to twenty minute driving circle. All right. So yeah, it's a long way to go out there. But I know I have a friend with a plane. Yeah. <laughs> you get out. You can get out there in twenty minutes. And right. What better in in the world than to be in Portland and then be at the beautiful coast in twenty minutes? Oh man, yeah. it sounds awesome. It's it's great. So. And there are a few airports out there. Kurt, thank you. Yeah, Appreciate you bet. It. Thanks, guys. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 